back to be uh, with our Transformation Station team this morning. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's unshakable word to the Gospel of John. We'll be in chapter 9 today. So if you're using one of the Bibles we provide for you, it's page 895. And um, if you're not using one of those Bibles, uh, the Gospel of John is uh, in the New Testament. It's four books in, so kind of toward the back of the Bible, but not too far back. Um, we'll be in John, John 9 today, starting in verse 1, look at the whole chapter. Uh, well, I, I want to uh, welcome everyone. I uh, see a lot of new faces today. It's always, always a great thing. We love that at Redemption Hill. So uh, my name is Tanner Turley. I serve as one of the pastors here of RHC. And uh, if you are new, uh, not only do we hope you know you'll, you'll share your contact info with us so we can thank you for joining us. You can do that on that Connect card. Or you can uh, go to rhc.church forward slash cc. How easy is that? Just fill it out on your mobile device. Um, but if you're new, you're, you're, you're also here on a kind of a cool Sunday because there's something new for all of us today. And that is, uh, maybe you noticed, uh, we have a, a video uh, recorder back there. And uh, camera, that is, I should say. And uh, this video camera is, is, is a new step for our church. You say, like, what's going on? Why do you have that? Uh, we're going to start recording our sermons uh, so that we can post those online. Not only have the audio, but also have the video. And uh, so, yeah, some of you are excited about that. Thank you very much. Uh, and, and listen, there are a lot of different reasons why we could choose to do this, right? Uh, like, so, for example, uh, my wife, she, she's been telling me for years, um, you're such a handsome guy that um, if we would go to sermon video, like, there are surely more people, you know, would start coming to Redemption Hill. Um, now, I don't need 200 of you to tell me how untrue that is after this service, all right? So just spare me that. Uh, but, um, you know, like, why, why would we do this? Well, we, we felt like in, in, in our own experience, but just this is just kind of commonplace, like uh, people fear the unknown, right? And so if, if they don't kind of know maybe what to expect, they may be less likely to explore visiting on a Sunday. And, and not only that, um, you just have a lot of misconceptions um, and misperceptions of what a church may be like, I think especially in, in the Boston culture. So um, people sometimes expect church just to be boring or irrelevant or guilt-laden. And I just hope, you know, like if any of you experience those things today, like we won't be offended, never come back. Uh, but we just, uh, we just have found that Jesus changes our lives in such a powerful way that this is the greatest adventure uh, on the planet. And uh, there's nothing irrelevant about knowing him and following him a lot, a, a, along with a lot of other great people like you. Um, so, uh, so this is why we want to, to do this. We want to uh, use it as a tool that is hopefully going to be compelling to people that, you know, can go online, check us out, and, uh, and prayerfully join us on a Sunday, maybe after even seeing it online. And then, of course, there are other benefits. Some of you are clapping like, man, when I have to miss a Sunday, that would be nice to be able to view that. Uh, we'll be able to use it for a, for a variety of other uh, kind of ways as well. Uh, but, but I want to thank... Uh, he, he wouldn't want me to do this, but I want to thank Seth Plackey. Uh, Seth is our deacon of audio-visual technology. Let's give it up for Seth. Um, Seth, has put in, Seth has put in more hours than he probably is willing to admit. With our transition to the Chevalier Theater, uh, getting all of this sound and, and all the, the lighting, and it's, it's a lot of work, and it's something that quite frankly, I can never get done. So that's why we have people that are competent and skilled like Seth and his team, a lot of people on the AV team. Dave Hogorf's taking the lead with some of this video execution. So really grateful to have a great church of people who want to work and serve. 
together. Well, uh, John chapter 9, we're going to see this story of a man who was blind from birth receiving sight. Now, for those of you that are maybe familiar with the story of Christianity, uh, maybe you've heard this story before, maybe heard it as a, as a child or read it in the Bible at some point, but this, this story provides a metaphor for the reality of what people experience when they choose to see who Christ is and, and follow him, believe in him. So uh, a great evidence of this, if you were to ask kind of uh, just probably any pastor or, or any uh, person that's been familiar with the songs that churches have sang uh, over the past uh, couple of centuries, if you were to ask people, well, what's probably the, the most popular hymn that uh, has been sung over these past, you know, 250 years, I think most people at the very top of the list would have this, this song known as Amazing Grace. And so many of you are familiar with the lyrics, the, the opening uh, and closing lines of the song say the same thing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a, a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. This is in such poetic simplicity, a beautiful articulation of what happens when someone comes to know who Christ is, and then has him transform their lives from the inside out. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. But if, if we're being honest, even as I've been thinking about this passage this week, um, it's hard for us to put our mind inside of someone who is physically blind. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, now, now, some of you are like me, and even if you don't have glasses on today, um, you have corrective lenses, and so you know that, you know, many of us, uh, you're a little bit more blurry now, and ooh, now you're looking better. Um, many of us have, you know, the need for corrective lenses. But there's a huge difference in saying, like, you know, your vision's a little blurry, and your vision is not there at all. Perhaps it's hard for you to identify with this story because you have never, I mean, just maybe try to close your eyes for a few hours and just live, I mean, that would actually be a good experiment this week, just to kind of understand the, the challenges, which is why we should care for those who have the, the physical impairment of, of blindness. But at the same time, would you, would you consider that perhaps it's even more difficult for us to imagine what it's like to be not just physically blind, but even spiritually blind. You see, the, the ironic piece of being spiritually blind is that we're blind to our spiritual blindness. We don't realize that we need light and we need this miracle of, of sight being given to us that we might see the world as God sees our world. That we might see him, we might see ourselves, that we might see one another as God wants us to see, and he has to give us the eyes of faith, spiritual sight, to be able to do that very thing. So this morning, we're going to look at this fascinating story. It's a, it's a story that's loaded uh, with drama and emotion and some irony, even a little bit of comedy as we kind of read some of the dialogue and the interaction. Um, but this story is a story of not 
simply Jesus, as if this wasn't enough, Jesus healing physical blindness, but Jesus also healing someone's spiritual blindness. And so uh, if you would read with me the first seven verses of John 9 as we jump into this passage. This is what uh, the gospel writer John says. As he passed by, speaking of Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, here it is again, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. I want to give you two invitations uh, that, that are built on what we see in this story about how we can join Jesus in the kind of work that we see him engaging in here in John chapter 9. Okay, the, the first is simply that. Uh, join Jesus in the great work of his kingdom. Jesus is doing a great work. We've seen this from John chapter 1 to 2 to 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, all the way through 21. By the way, we're going to keep going, all right? But, but Jesus is engaged in a great work. And, and, and sometimes we kind of miss the, the, the obvious when we're reading, okay? What, what Jesus is doing here is he is stepping into the context of suffering and death, and he is performing the works of God he came to reverse suffering in our world. And so you know as well as I do, and perhaps you've experienced it in an acute manner this week, we all struggle with the, the reality of pain and suffering. And consequently, we all ask the questions, why? Why is there so much pain in this world? Why is there so much suffering in this world? This is the question that they were asking in the first century as well. And they came up with different solutions to, or, or maybe perhaps different answers to that question. Um, you can see in, in verse 2 that the disciples kind of raised some, some common assumptions that, well, is it because this man was, was sinful I guess in the womb, I'm not sure how that kind of like prenatally would, you know, why they would ask that, but, but they just, because they thought sin was a consequence of personal sin. So, so is it because of the man's sin or is it because of his parents? Maybe, maybe this physical calamity is a result of his parents not living their lives in a way that might honor God. And so Jesus goes on to answer their question and he says, look, listen, um, you may assume that all sin is the result of, of personal uh, uh, sin, that, that all suffering is the result of personal sin, but, but Jesus says that that's, not simply, that's simply not the case. I mean, certainly our sin can lead to consequences, and sometimes God allows things in our lives to kind of grab our attention, to pull us back to him when we experience pain and suffering. 
but we should never assume that because someone's going through a difficult time that it's, it's an immediate result of that person's sin. In fact, Jesus is going to say, look, um, this has happened to him so that my works can be made known through him. This is exactly what he says um, in verse 3. It was not this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed through him. And so as you ask the questions, why do good things Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is that child suffering with that illness? Why does that kid not have a father figure in his life? And and why is there not food on the table to even satisfy their hunger? Why did my loved one get diagnosed with cancer? We all ask these questions. And while there's not always a a crystal clear, like we we don't always see it in the moment, usually what we can see or or how God in his grace, he he works these evil matters in his kindness. He takes this, this, this pain, this suffering, and he can turn them for good. And we can see um, good things come out of the brokenness in our world. But, but, but just consider this. This is why, this is, this is one of the, the primary reasons why I'm a Christian, all right? Is because the Christian worldview, unlike any other, tells the story of the God, the only God, who actually enters into our suffering and pain. You see, in Christianity, you have a God that that does not detach himself from our world, but a God who steps into our world and enters into our suffering that he might reverse it. And not only that, as if that wasn't enough, Jesus lived a perfect life, and then what? He suffered. There's... Not, not one of us, I'm just going to go on a limit, not one of us is going to die by crucifixion. And we should all be very thankful for that. Jesus not only entered our suffering, but he himself suffered that he might end all suffering. And so when we look at Jesus, we, we see that he came to reverse the, the problem of, of pain and suffering in our World. And you say, well, like, well how is he going to do this here? How is he going to perform the works of God in this man's life? Um, that's a pretty uh, radical statement, I think. And if we just keep reading, we see how he does that. So if you would uh, follow along. I'm gonna, what I'm going to do, this is a pretty long chapter. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read most of the chapter. And I'm just going to pause at strategic points to kind of highlight a few things as we go. Okay, so, so starting then uh, in verse 8, it says this. After this man goes to the pool, washes his eyes. Now he can see, and this miracle takes place. Um, This is what the the story continues in it, and it says this. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. I mean, just put yourself in the story. Isn't this kind of funny here? That, that, that people are so amazed. It's so, they're so incredulous because who has ever seen a man born blind receive sight? It's like, it looks like him. No, it can't be him because 
that doesn't happen, right? Like, people who can't see don't become seeing people. But this is exactly what happens in this story. So they said to him, then how are your eyes open? Verse 10, now 11. He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Now verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? Speaking of Jesus there. And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? The blind man answered, the formerly blind man answered, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents who had, of the man, they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How does then he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Right, so let's just push pause there and let me catch you up to speed. What's going on here is this, this group known as the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of the day and they had a huge problem with Jesus. And we saw this back at the end of chapter eight where Jesus is claiming to be divine and it says that they picked up stones to throw at him that they might kill him. So anything that Jesus was going to say or do from that point was going to meet immediate opposition from these religious leaders, even to the point when Jesus heals a man who was born blind, uh, been blind uh, from birth uh, gives, and gives him sight, they were going to oppose that in the most fierce way. And so they just kind of go through this series of, tr- of denials, trying to deny that it really happened. So first they just say like, well, this guy really, surely he wasn't really born blind, all right? Like we know that there's a blind man who was begging, you know, uh, outside of the temple, but surely this isn't this guy. So let's call for his parents and just kind of verify that. And so that, you know, that didn't work out for them. And so they continue and, and they, they start um, trying to degrade Jesus and saying, well, you know, like, even if Jesus did this, um, he's breaking the rules that we made for everyone else by doing something good on the Sabbath. So what, what is that all about? Well, the Sabbath was given from God to man for the purposes of rest and worship. I mean, I assume that everyone took a, a long nap last night, like went to bed, Got some sleep last night, woke up this morning, right? And so we, we all need rest. We're, we're not God. God doesn't need rest. That's what Psalm 121 says. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. He's all good. He's that powerful. He doesn't need to rest. But we need rest, right? 
And so we have this rhythm of, of working and then resting and working and then resting. And, and so God says, look, you can, you can work your, your five, six days a week, but on this, on this day, the seventh day, you need to rest. And as you rest, you need to focus on worshiping me, not just individually like you do every day, but doing that with, with others on the Sabbath. And so that was, that was why God gave his people, the Sabbath, but then these religious leaders started making all of these extra rules. And by the way, churches are still great at this today sometimes. Like we say, like, you know, if you really want to be devoted to God, then you have to dress a certain way, you know? You, you can go there, but you can't go there. And so this is what these, these religious leaders were doing. They were making up rules for people to keep that weren't given by God. And so Jesus absolutely despised this, and I think he strategically healed people on the Sabbath just to make the point that the, the, the Sabbath was given for man, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, as he says in Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, the, the three Gospels that precede the Gospel of John. And then even in that moment, he would say that, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, he is the God who made the Sabbath and he is the one who reigns over the Sabbath. And so we can do good as an act of worship to God and as an act of love for other people. We can engage in good deeds on any day of the week, including the Sabbath. But these religious leaders said that was not what God wanted. And they said, Jesus must be a sinner if he's doing good things. Isn't that twisted? And then the story gets worse. Not only do they put pressure on the parents and, and others who, you know, lived in, in Jerusalem and said, like, if you side with Jesus, then you're going to be, you know, kicked out of the church, basically, in that context, kicked out of the synagogue, put out. But then they start attacking the man himself in verse 24. Look at this. It says, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind. And they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered that, I, I've told you already, and you would not listen why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> and they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, the formerly blind man answered, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him Consider this. The people who should have known better. The people who should have seen 
the Messiah, Jesus, coming to reverse all of our suffering as was promised, as we read earlier in Isaiah 30. Like, they, they knew what the, the scripture said, and because their hearts were so hardened and blind, they continued to resist the work of God that was right in front of their face. And you know what? I, I, I want to I be like the blind man and say, like, this is amazing. It's, it's even like the way that John is writing this story and this narrative, it's almost as if the blind man is saying, like, this is more remarkable than me re- receiving physical sight is your spiritual blindness. And, and, and I want to I side with the formerly blind man, and I want to point my finger at the Pharisees and say, like, they were so stupid. They were religious leading scumbags. And then all of a sudden, I start looking at my life, and I start wondering, how often am I missing the wonders of God right in front of my face because I am more interested in myself than I am the things of God. Have you ever been so into you that you missed the wonders of God right in front of you? I'm continuing to learn. This is kind of painful, right? But I'm continuing to learn the greatest barrier to me witnessing the wonders of God is me. Our own pride. Our own sense of, I got this. I know this already. I've read that and I understand that. They don't, but I do. It keeps me from experiencing what God wants to, uh, me to experience. And so we, we, we have to see Jesus came to reverse suffering. And with that, he came to display the coming kingdom of God. So, so, so what, what's happening here is Jesus physically... Uh, takes this man's blindness and he restores his sight. He gives him his sight. And what is happening here is not like just this one-time miracle that now like Christians 2,000 later can kind of like get excited about like Jesus can do that. Jesus can heal a blind man, all right? Like that's great. But there is something of cosmic proportions that is happening here. So in the very beginning... Everything was perfect. Everything was as exactly as God wanted it to be. This is, this is what the, the Hebrew word shalom means, all right? The, the, the Hebrew word shalom means peace. It was the, if, you, if you go to Israel today, you'll be greeted with the word shalom. And it, and it means peace, and it's not just peace in the sense of like the absence of conflict, but it's peace in the sense of human wholeness and fullness and abundance and flourishing. Cornelius Plantigan, in an excellent book, uh, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, uh, defines shalom as this. It is universal, universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs, the way things ought to be. The way things ought to be. So Jesus, in his mission, he comes and he brings back 
into focus and into reality the way things once were and the way things are going to be in the very end. So Genesis 1 and 2 and into 3, the way things ought to be, everything was perfectly harmonious between God and man, between man and man, between man and creation. And Genesis 3 hits, and, 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 and the first people, Adam and Eve, they didn't follow God's plan. And so uh, disharmony and death enters into our world in Genesis 3. But God doesn't leave us in this plight because he, he promises a, a Savior, a Messiah, a Redeemer, a Restorer, who will come and reverse all of these effects of sin and death and disharmony. And so this is why Jesus came, so that he can restore shalom, so that he can turn the way things ought to be and, and, and make them happen. And, and listen, everything that, that Jesus says and does is a picture of the coming kingdom of God. So you can just go read Revelation 21, like no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sin in, in the new heavens and new earth that is to come. Jesus makes that happen now. And we still see glimpses of this today. See, this is why, this is why John uses this language of signs, right? He says, Jesus performed many signs. And just like a sign, like a physical sign that we see like, driving down the street, um, a sign points to something else, right? Like, you know... Route 16 is coming up ahead. We're on 93 and 16 is coming. So that sign tells me that I'm almost to 16, right? And so these signs, when Jesus heals a man who was born blind, it is a pointer to the way things are going to be. When Jesus feeds 5,000 hungry people, it is a pointer to the way things are going to be when no one is ever going hungry in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus displays the coming kingdom of God, and so it's paramount for us to understand that, that Jesus is, is working in this way, and he wants us to join him in his work. And so that is the second invitation for us today. Join, join Jesus in his great work of giving sight to the blind. Now, now if, if Jesus is, is doing this, all right, if Jesus is recovering physical sight in such a way that, that points to uh, spiritual sight that we can receive, then it just begs the question, like, how can we, how can we understand how this happens? And, and then how can we join Jesus in this work? All right? So, so let's, let's ask and answer those two questions. Uh, number one, how do people receive spiritual sight? This is what happens for uh, this, this blind man. Look, look back in verse uh, 35, all right? I love this, by the way. John is such a, like, we, we, we think, like, we live in 2016, so anyone who lived, like, back in the first century, they must have been very smart, all right? C.S. Lewis calls that chronological snobbery, all right? Don't be a snob, because you're probably not as smart as John, all right? So, so John, he, he weaves the story together, and look what he says in verse 34. He says, they cast him out of the synagogue, Right? That, I mean, they gave him the boot. Don't come back. You're not welcome here. And so Jesus hears this, and what does Jesus do? They cast you out, but I will welcome you in. That's what Jesus does. So verse 35, Jesus heard they cast him out, and what is it? He goes looking for him, and he finds him, and he says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? 
formerly blind man answers, well, who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. This voice that he had recognized. Blind people have such an acute uh, auditory skill, typically, right? And so he, he knew this voice. He had gone blind to the pool of Siloam, but now he's coming back, and he knows this voice, and it's the one who healed him. And he says in verse 38, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. And Jesus says this powerful statement in verse 39, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. I know of no better way to explain spiritual blindness and spiritual sight than just letting the Bible kind of speak for itself. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 explains this reality really, really well. Let me read these first six verses of of 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, First, we have in the first two verses the light of the gospel. So, So Paul was a man who was commissioned by Jesus. He was once an opponent of Christ like these religious leaders. And then God met him. He found him out like he found the blind man, and he changed his life. And so Paul was a, a, a servant of God, and he told people about Jesus and the life that they could have, the shalom that they could experience. And so this is, this is what he's talking about. Therefore, having the, this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So do you, do you hear that? There's this open statement of the truth. We don't, we don't tamper with the word of God. We don't twist it. We don't make the Bible say what we want it to say. We just read it for what it's worth, and, and we just accept it for, for what it is. And that's what we try to do at Redemption Hill every, every single Sunday, the light of the gospel is sufficient for us in everything. But there's a huge problem. It's why this theater isn't packed out yet. It's because people don't see the light of the gospel. Why is this, Paul? Well, verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing what? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I mean, don't you hear echoes of the gospel of John? Jesus is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the glory of God revealed. We just saw it in Isaiah 35. It's what John the Baptist said in John chapter 1. People don't see because there is a spiritual war going on that's keeping people from seeing Christ for who he is, from seeing themselves as who they are. And so what we need is not like cooler presentations and better looking preachers, you know. Uh, What we need is the overpowering light of Christ. Like, Like we need God to shine his light so that people see what they have not previously seen. And this is what 
5 and 6 talk about, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, listen to this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you see the connection? This is the, 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 the creation story. Genesis chapter 1, the first, the first words that spoke the world into existence was, let there be light. And light came and filled the darkness. But, but this was, as scholars put it in the Latin, creation ex nihilo. Out of nothing came something. So, so God speaks light into existence, and, and that which was not there is all of a sudden there. And this is what happens with a person spiritually as well. Paul says in Ephesians 2, like, you were dead on the inside because you have deviated from God's design. But God, when he shines his light into our lives, he makes us alive. God takes spiritually unseeing people, spiritually blind people, and he shines his light into our heart when they see the the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And he gives them sight. This is is how it works. So, So people experience Jesus, and this happens as now people, uh, we're going to talk about this more in a second, show, show Christ with their lives, and then they share Jesus with their words, and then the light bulbs start to go off. And this divine and supernatural light starts to flood people's hearts, and, and people start to see things differently, the world differently, and then they say, you know what, I, I need him. I, I want in on that. I want this shalom for myself. Without the gift of light, there is no gift of sight. But once this light shines in our hearts, Jonathan Edwards said this a couple, few centuries ago, uh, not only do we understand who Jesus is, but we actually delight in who he is. We love who he is. We love what he has done. We're like the formerly blind man when he says, Lord, I believe, and we move forward and worship. So I want you to consider this, and I want you to, to, to put yourself in, in one of two camps today as best you can. There are really two categories of people in this story. There, there is the people who are open to who Christ truly is, and then there are the people who are obstinate and refuse to even consider that Jesus could be the Messiah. So, so you understand this, right? The, the, the open are humble, the obstinate are proud. The open are willing to learn and have their perspective changed. The obstinate are not teachable at all, and they dig their heels into the ground so that they can remain unmoved. I mean, let me just ask you this. Like, we who are so quick to uh, criticize the political candidates of our day and and 
in probably most cases, rightfully so, right? It's like a new, new sport, you know, like forget basketball, like just get on social media and see how many flaws you can point out in the political candidates, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just lots of ammunition these days. Why? Like we're criticizing them for being arrogant and narrow-minded and just shouldn't we ask ourselves the same question? Like am, am I willing to have my perspective enlightened? Do I really have a humility of heart that says I don't have all the answers, I don't have it all together, and, and maybe God wants to show me something that would radically alter the trajectory of my life, not only for this life, but the life to come through believing in Jesus Christ? We have to see that the boundless love and grace of God in Christ, when he died on a Roman cross, it's enough to meet the the boundless need that we all have in our, in our souls. Jesus is the bread of life because spiritually we are starving. Jesus is the light of the world because spiritually we can't see two feet in front of us. But God gives us everything we need in Christ that we might experience the life that he wants us to experience through trusting in him and what he did. So if that's you today, like you're saying like, man, I've, I've kind of really honestly, I've been more obstinate. Maybe I didn't even realize, maybe I was blind to the fact that I was obstinate, but now God's shining the light on me and showing that I was obstinate, now I'm more open. Like if that's you, then that's awesome. Join the team of, of, of Jesus and, and jump in with us because there's nothing better than knowing him and living for him and loving him and pointing others to his love. So let's just wrap up with this. How can we join Jesus in the work? How can, we, how can we join him in the work? Let me give you two ways. I'll try to move very quickly through this, right? Number one, shine light with your life so that others might experience Jesus. So, so just as Jesus' work points to the coming kingdom of God, so every time we reflect him in our work, we are pointing to the coming kingdom of God ourselves. Jeff Christofferson calls these kingdom imprints. Listen to this definition, right? A kingdom imprint is a documented occasion when a believer meets a physical need in the community and attaches the credit to the grace of Jesus Christ. So just someone this morning said, you know what? Your church, they are full of such nice and considerate people. So I just like, with you, because of what you had done, I just got to join in on that kingdom imprint. I said, you know, like really, we're nothing special. It's just like, Jesus has changed us, and we want to be kind to people now. We want to serve others now. Um, you know, maybe it, it looks like this for you this week. Maybe it's just like staying after work to help a new employee learn the ropes in your company. Uh, maybe it's helping a neighbor move in. Props to my man, James DeRosa, who helped the family move in this week, part of Redemption Hill now uh, that came here all the way from Miami, Florida, right? Miracles still happen today. You follow me? Like people move from Miami to Boston, I'm just saying, you know, like, yeah, some of you didn't catch that. All right, let me slow down. Um, every, every time we, we put food on the table, every time we counsel someone through an addiction, we are pointing to the coming kingdom of God, the way things ought to be. Marsh and I were in the airport last week. Some of you remember the story. This was actually before I almost lost my wallet. And uh, we were going through the security, and you know how it is, like you're weaving back and forth. And so these two girls had the same jacket on, and on the back of their jacket, it said, B Corporation, 
a force for good in the business world. So I was like, you know me, I like pulling out my phone, B Corporation, what's this? It turns out they're rallying people to serve as advocates in businesses all around the globe to be a force for good in business. Like, I can get behind that. So, you know, I, I went and, like, they actually were near our gates. So I struck up a conversation, like, hey, I like your jacket. What's that all about? Listen to what they say. This is their vision. Um, they want to uh, see businesses uh, change to the point where one day all companies will compete to be the best for the world, not the best in the world. Isn't that good? And I'm just saying, like, yes, hopefully that's us, Redemption Health Church, like a force for good in this city. Not that we're, not that we're competing with anyone else, but we're just saying, like, man, when, when people look at Redemption Health Church, like, I hope they're seeing, like, this church wants to be the best they can be for the good of this city. That's what we're about. Everything we do is, a, is, is for uh, pointing people to Christ. And, and, and the language is intentional, right? Shine the light of your life so that others can experience Christ. Because I can tell you this, and you know this, right? Most people in 2016, all right, they're not going to want to hear our explanation of Christ if they're not experiencing Christ from us. But that leads us to the second piece of this, shine the light of, of Christ with, with our words so that we might explain why Jesus came. L- let me just wrap up with this. Like, everyone has a story, right? The blind man had a story. Verse 24 and 25, like, I couldn't see, now I can see. This guy must be a prophet. Oh, wait, no, he's better than that. And as more light shined into his life, he's, he's in up saying, this is the Son of God. He is the Lord of all. I believe in him. I worship and so as, as we share our story, listen, probably what's going to resonate with most people is not us, okay, like we have to get to the Bible, right? Like no, no one's gonna become a follower of Jesus if they don't know who he is and we don't know who he is apart from the, the word, right? So we need to, we need to give people the, the word so they can know who Jesus is and how they can attach their life to his life. But your story doesn't have to begin with Romans 1 and 3 and 5 and 6 and 8 and 10. You can just share that you see differently because God has given you sight. So now in your workplace, you see things different. In your family, you see things different. In your neighborhood, you look at the outcast and the refugee different because God has given you sight. And so this is why like, it's Easter season and we're, we're doing crazy stuff like giving you a card that says the list. Like this is hilarious because it's the most uncreative thing in the world, the list, all right? And we just, because Jesus is so good, we want to pray that other people will discover what we've discovered, the, the, the life that he gives us, the peace that he gives us, the joy that he gives us, the love that he gives us. And so I just want to invite you like. Take this card, and as John shared earlier, like fill out a name, a couple names, just pray for these people. And then, and then use these opportunities. Easter weekend, we have a lot of great opportunities. Good Friday at Faneuil Hall. It's, a, it's an, an event there uh, to have a Good Friday service with the hopes that 
not just like a bunch of Christians will show up and, you know, have a kumbaya session, although that's really good and important, but so that people who are maybe more interested in the things of, of Christ might actually grab dinner with us beforehand and go to the Good Friday service and, and discover why Jesus died 2,000 years ago. And perhaps maybe, just maybe, they'll go from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. If you can't make it Friday night, that's okay. You can come Saturday to our Easter egg hunt. We're calling this the Medford Extravaganza, all right? Ha, ha, ha. All right. So maybe your friend won't come on Friday night to some good Friday service, but they're like, man, I can help you serve and put out a few eggs so that kids in Medford can have a good time. And sometimes that's how people are, are kind of exposed to the community of faith. People typically belong before they believe. They just start hanging out with these people who are shining light, and they're like, man, that's different. What's up with that? What's up with them? And then God starts to open their eyes as they see more light. And then, of course, Easter Sunday is, we, we had 341 people here. 52 people came for the first time last Easter. I mean, I don't have to explain to you that, that Easter Sunday is the most attended Sunday in every church in America, almost without exception. So I just think we would be irresponsible to not, you know, like, take our uh, sweet invite cards. Thank you, uh, Caleb Finsky. And, um, you know, just get loaded up. And when I'm seeing my friends and I'm praying for like, hey, you know what? Easter's early this year, March 27th. Would you just come and join me? I'll meet you there. I'll meet you out front. I'll buy your breakfast. I'll buy your lunch. We can hang out. I'd love for you to check out why I am a part of this church and more importantly, why I really try to follow Jesus with my life. It's as simple as that. But listen, God uses the, the most simple efforts. We, just last year, which like one, one of the, the young ladies who's a part of our church, it, it intimidated her just to hand out an invite card. And some of you are thinking, like, that's me. I, like, I don't even want to do that. Like, I'm not even going to take these home and like, you know, like, act like I forgot it and leave it in the you know, seats or whatever. Um, but but she, like, she prayed about it. She's like, man, help me to do that. She invited a friend who started to come. And that friend now is a follower of, of Jesus. God's shown the, the supernatural light of Christ into his heart. And so let's just, let's just ask God to help us join him in his work of displaying the kingdom of God so that others might experience his light. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you have shown your light into our hearts. And God, we pray that you would continue your good work in us, Lord, we, we don't have it all together. We, we don't want to be like these religious leaders and, and proud in our hearts. God, we need your light to flood our hearts that we might continue to, to seek to live for you each and every day. And God, we're just, we're just so convinced that you're so amazing and so good and so true that, that we want everyone, without exception, to come to know how amazing you are. So God, would you mobilize us during this Easter season to care for those around us that they might experience life as it ought to be, uh, not only now, but forever. God, we pray for those people. We pray that we would become the kind of people that you want us to be. We pray this in the name of Jesus.